Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. Um, this is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. Uh, right now, the Orioles continue to prepare for the shortened 2020 season. And in today's show, we're going to discuss some of the prospects that we're looking forward to seeing at the Major League level this year. Not only on the Orioles, but in on their opponents in the American League and National League East. We'll get to that in a little bit, but first, um, an update on the Orioles' progress in signing their 2020 draft picks. Uh, we did not record a show last week, but while we were off the air, the team reached an agreement with Kobe Mayo, a uh, fourth-round pick that we have talked about extensively on here, uh, that we're pretty high on, and Anthony Servideo out of Ole Miss. Both players signed for above slot, as was expected with Mayo. He will get a $1.75 million signing bonus. Servideo gets slightly above slot with a $950,000 bonus. Um, his slot came in at just over 844000 but as noted, he'll get 950000 At this point, the only player that the Orioles have not officially signed from the 2020 draft is Carter Baumler. But all indications were after the draft that Baumler will sign at some point, likely for over a million dollars. Um, and there has been nothing out there in the week since the draft to indicate that that is no longer the case. Um, so Baumler not officially in the fold just yet, but still expected that between now and the August 1st deadline, uh, the Orioles will sign him. Bob, what's your reaction to the latest uh, signing bonuses and how the Orioles are doing in uh, finalizing deals with their draft picks? Well, first, I want to say I saw a Twitter conversation between uh, Rock Kabatko and I think his Twitter username is Dub. I see him. He asks a lot of good questions about prospects and stuff. Uh he asked Rock if there was anything to Balmer not signing yet, and he said it's just a bunch of technical issues should be done. No worries there. So that's good. But, yeah, it's nice to get Servideo and Kobe Mayo signed officially. You always want to sign the draftees. Doesn't seem like there was any issues. And for anyone worried that going under slot with Kerstad was going to make us be penny pinchers and try to save money, that's clearly not the case because, yeah, they might – end up being have like 200,000 left over but that's negligible and just room in case someone wanted to play hardball so yeah very happy get them in the system even if they don't play officially for the Orioles this year at least they'll be under our our wing and we can get them moving in the right direction yeah I'm excited I, I like the how the financial the, the dollars and cents worked out there i think the orioles ended up spending all of what but like 200 something thousand dollars or something around there um so you know i know a lot of people are probably still uneasy about the um you know heston kerstad pick but you know based on our conversations that we've had and what Stephen loftus has brought to the conversation in a few episodes with us i, I love the kerstad pick i've said it before i'm going to keep saying it um I don't care about the underslot, the the money deal. There is, you know, 
did the Orioles, you know, reach a little bit for him, maybe, but, you know, we got a guy like Kobe Mayo in the system now, um, and I think I'm going to echo what Steven said again there, when we may look back years from now, and Kobe Mayo may be the guy that really saves this draft, could be the standout of this, of the six picks of this draft, and, and I agree with that. I'm excited to watch him probably more than any of the other picks, uh, but, you know, these are all guys that, again, higher floor guys that are now in the system. I, I like Servideo more and more the more I watch him and the more I see you written about him. Uh, someone who I think can come up and compete uh, pretty soon. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens over the next uh, few years. But they're all in except Baumler. And I think he's the one big question mark that we have as far as, like, his future in the organization, what he can bring. But he'll be in eventually, and, and we'll see what happens maybe. Maybe next year we can get out to Aberdeen and, and Delmarva and watch these guys. But until then, it's, they're here. They're Orioles. They're our guys. Part of Birdland. I um, wrote a story on this on Thursday that's on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com right now going over um, the players that have been signed so far and kind of trying to project in the short term what their development paths will look like. Obviously, right now, you know, the 2021 season starting on time or however it starts, is, there are no guarantees to it. But I think in both cases with Baumler and Mayo, Baumler, I expect the Orioles will move pretty slow with his development. Mayo, um, they might not put him in a full season level right away, but he's going to be a guy that's going to be getting a lot of attention because that raw power just is off the charts. And as I noted in my piece, if he had really, if he had gone to Florida, if he had followed through with that commitment and the bat continued to develop, uh, he looked good defensively. He might have been a guy who a couple of years down the line we're looking at as a first-round pick out of college. So the Orioles did a good job there assigning Mayo. Um, I wrote more about that on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Uh, there's also coverage up on the site right now of the Orioles and their preparation for the 2020 season, uh, some NFL coverage, and some college football. So check out at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and hop on a discussion board and let us know what you think. Um, what we're going to get into on this show, just to preview the Major League season, but with a prospect slant, is talk about some of the players that will not only be in Baltimore this year that are going to debut as prospects for the Orioles, but guys who are going to be on the American League and National League East teams that the Orioles will be facing. Um, with the Orioles, for me in particular, I know that there's going to be a lot of talk about Ryan Mountcastle over the coming weeks. Um, I think we're going to see him accrue some major league time. This He'll get some major league time this year. But my guess is that 2020 is going to end with him still being a prospect eligible player. Um, Austin Hayes and Hunter Harvey are both prospects coming into this season. If both of those players can stay healthy, they will likely be you know no longer prospect eligible after a matter of weeks. Um, and there are two players that really I'm looking forward to seeing this year. And I'll get into that more in a minute. But, Nick, I want to start with you. Who are some of the younger players on the <clears throat> Orioles that you're really intrigued by? Uh, this year, I'm curious if if we see – I'm just curious what prospects we see this year because as we get closer and closer, I get the sense that we're not going to see a lot of these guys. Um, we're definitely not going to see anywhere close to the number of guys we would see in a normal 162-game season. Um, I know Ryan Mountcastle was on a, a Zoom call today, and some of the reporters were tweeting out some of his quotes saying how he was really disappointed when he wasn't named to the initial 44-man roster, but he's pretty certain that he'll play uh, later this year. Of course, that's number one. Keegan Aiken, another name that we talk about a lot. But honestly, based on just... 
what this season means for the Orioles, which is not a lot. Um, <laughs> really, what this season means as far as player development and everything. I'm curious to see, you know, do we see someone like Ryland Bannon come up um, and get some time in the big leagues? That's someone who I really wasn't high on uh, when we got him from the Dodgers, to be honest. But the more I watched him, I watched him a lot last year, uh, especially in Norfolk. Uh, really liked what I saw out of him. Uh, so he's someone I think can be a, a really good utility player for the Orioles down the road. Uh, Austin Hayes, for sure. Santander was the one that I was really looking forward to see as far as guys that are already up in the big leagues. Um, I know he had you know 20 home runs, 20 doubles last year, but it was really streaky. Uh, but you know we don't know exactly what's going on with him right now, when we'll see him, if we'll see him this year. Uh, so... Hopefully he's healthy or getting healthy uh, right now. But yeah, Bannon's a big one. Um, you know, I just don't think we're going to see a lot of the prospects this year. That's just maybe it's just Monday evening and just got off work and I'm tired and irritable a little bit. But <laughs> I just I I don't know. I don't get the sense we're going to see very many. But hopefully Bannon, Mountcastle, Hayes. Um, you know. I kind of did talk myself into Chance Sisko a little bit. I wrote an article, it was a couple weeks ago up on the website, but looking at Pedro Severino and Chance Sisko, I did talk myself into Chance Sisko just a little bit. Um, maybe there's something there. I know he worked, he had that off-season work trying to develop. Um, we'll see what happens there, but you know, give us the prospects. Let us play. Yeah. Um, speaking of Santander, uh, Santander excuse me, and his absence in camp early on, I'm interested to see what DJ Stewart can do with some full-time uh, potential out in left field, or opportunity, I should say. Uh, outside of the obvious guys like Hayes, Mountcastle, um, Hunter Harvey, all those guys, to me it's about the pitching, which guys are going to be brought in. I was pleasantly surprised to see Michael Bauman was added to the uh, summer camp roster, extra 30 people, and not someone like... Uh, Lothar or Wells or even Dean Kramer. I don't think he's been added yet. So, or even Zimmerman, who had such a great early spring training. So, to me, it's about which pitchers are they going to give a chance, like Aiken, Bauman, even guys like Cody Carroll, Dylan Tate. I'm just interested to see what those guys can do in this limited time against a tough competition. And one last note is Andrew Velasquez. I like that pickup they made in early spring. Uh, he's versatile. Seems like he's got some good skills. I want to see what he can do. He do, he doesn't even have a year of service under his belt, so that'll be interesting. You know, Bob, I think I'm kind of on the same page as you, where I'm a little bit more intrigued by what the Orioles are going to do with their rotation in the bullpen this year um, in terms of getting some of those young arms, uh, major league innings. Harvey is the one that I'm the most intrigued by. The players are still prospect eligible. Just because I feel like if he is healthy, he not only makes the season more interesting, but he actually makes the team a little bit better. Um, I think he's someone who can step into that role, late inning relief, whether he's a closer or, you know, kind of a seventh, eighth inning high leverage situation guy and really make a difference. Um, So as long as he stays healthy, I look forward to seeing what he can do. One that I feel like because he's been on the major league roster for a while, and we've talked about his potential a lot, is Tanner Scott. Um, it hasn't quite clicked over the years with his control yet, but when he's on, you really see it. You really see where if he can finally figure things out in the secondary pitches, command the fastball a little bit better, the Orioles would have something there. So yeah, I, I, 
Okay. Go ahead, Sorry. Bob. I was just going to say, yeah, I've always been a, a big believer in Tanner Scott. Eden. He's let me down so far, but I still think the potential's there, and maybe this new mustache is the thing that'll push him over the top. Yeah, I, I just pulled up his numbers because I remember writing about him earlier uh, this offseason. His September, September-October games, he finished the year pretty strong. 9.1 innings, 14 strikeouts, just three walks. Um, <clears throat> 206 average against 3.86 ERA. Uh, you know, that's that's pretty good considering walks was one of the big things with him. Um, yeah, he could throw it 100 miles an hour, but he couldn't find the plate often. So, um, those late inning numbers were, were surprising. Uh, a pleasant surprise, though. And also, a name I think I just remembered this when you were talking about uh, guys who were just added. Uh, but Isaac Matson was a name that was that's added right. Right. to the roster. That was a, a big surprise. I think it took a few tweets from the beat reporters to get the the right name, but it was <laughs> Isaac Matson, <laughs> part of the Dylan Bundy trade with the Angels uh, draft pick out of Pittsburgh. Uh, I even tweeted this out on the account. He pitched across three levels last year uh, in the Angel system: high A, double A, and triple A. Six and three with a two point three three ERA and uh, one hundred and ten strikeouts in seventy three innings. So that's Big numbers. He doesn't have the big velocity, um, you know, but he does three pitch pitcher. So he's a little bit more than a two pitch reliever. Uh, lots of strikeouts. Obviously, there, there's something there. That's Michael Elias and the Orioles like something in his makeup. Something in the analytics says this guy was worthy of it, and maybe we'll see him this year. Yeah, and yeah, you really see where if you have Matson, um, Harvey, and then hopefully an improved Scott getting some innings, the bullpen could actually be one of the most interesting parts of this team, if not the most interesting part of this team. And I know that sounds like, well, what interest is there in the bullpen? And I know that might speak to how bad we expect the Orioles to be. But if you do want to see some areas of hope in 2020 for how the Orioles could progress over the next few seasons, the bullpen might be one area where a few months from now when the season ends, we realize, oh, there's some young talent in there, and if they continue to progress at the major league level, um, they're going to put the Orioles in, on much better footing going forward. Yeah, and if you're able to shorten games, then you're asking for less from your starters, and and then you can build from there. So it's not a bad, not a bad thought there. Yeah, Nick, I want to get your thoughts. Start with you, Nick, on Austin Hayes. And I, I know before, back during spring training, I believe. Um, we talked about how sometimes with Hayes, it seems like there's a little bit of prospect fatigue that has set in because he's battled injuries over the last few years. Um, his stock has diminished a little bit as a result, largely because he has not been healthy. But there was some, he showed a lot of promise late last season. He looks like he's going to be the starting center fielder on opening day. What do you think a healthy Austin Hayes means to the Orioles? Yeah, I think he means a lot to the Orioles. I think that's, that's going to be someone who, you know, I was hoping for that 162-game season to see that he could just stay healthy, first of all. Uh, but, you know, 60 games, if he can stay out there healthy this whole time and, and show his true potential, um, I think it is true that a lot of people are kind of, I don't know, maybe not down on Austin Hayes, but they're just, they forget just how good he can be and how good he was when he was coming up through the minor leagues. He was, what, a 2017 draft pick, 2016 draft pick. Uh, and he was the first one from his draft class. He was up in the majors at the end of 2017. And he was up there for a reason because the guy's explosive. And, you know, I've come around the idea of him being the center fielder. Uh, there's really no one else coming up through the system to that's really going to you know, battle him for that center field job. It's his if he wants it. Um, 
he's explosive. We saw the plays. You know, you replay that that home run robbing grab against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. all the time. Uh, because that that attitude and that passion that he brings to the game is something that you know I don't think we've really seen on the Orioles roster for a long time. He's he's not afraid to show his emotion out there. I love his his interviews. Um, he seems like a very determined guy, ready to push the last couple of years behind him and, and look forward. And if he can show through sixty games that he's productive and can hold down center field, I think that's you've got something that the Orioles can build around the outfield, and you've got a, a good piece of the puzzle in the lineup. Um, you know, does he get on base enough to be at the top of the lineup? I don't know, but it seems like he's going to hit at the top of the lineup. So, you know, maybe he can start generating some excitement. Set the table for Yasiel Puig this year and see what happens. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I feel like pros- people that follow prospects probably underrate Austin Hayes. And then the casual, more casual Oriole fans that just watched him show up last season and have a great September are probably going to overrate him coming into the season. But it's very interesting. I think you just need to see him play 60 games so you can get a full evaluation of where he's at at the major league level between all the minor injuries and even more major injuries and just uneven play that he had the last couple of years. It would be nice to just see him for a consecutive stretch of games and then you have a baseline for where he's at. So Nick actually gave me a talking point right before we went on the air and now I'm going to put him on the spot with it. Um, San Francisco was at one point regarded as the top prospect in the Orioles farm system. The returns at the major league level so far have not been that impressive. Um, but Nick, you indicated to Bob and I right before we came on the air that you still have some hope for Cisco, right? I, I mean, a little bit. Um, not not too much. I was probably one of the bigger Francisco critics for a long time. Um, but, you know, he didn't, I don't want to say he really improved last year offensively, but a lot of his numbers did tick up just a little bit. Uh, he put in the work this offseason, getting the, the private coaches, uh, working in the laboratory a little bit, uh, trying to improve his game. We know he can hit the ball. He hit the ball really well through AAA. He's an on-base machine. He can get the walks. He's a switch hitter. Um, you know, Offensively, he has the profile of someone who can contribute, um, Defensively, though, it's it's terrible. It's awful. It's there were games last year when he was in Triple A. Um, you know, I know he's been up and down also, and that's probably had some effect on him. That he's kind of like this Kevin Gossman early on in his career. The Orioles have him up for a few weeks, down for a few weeks, and he just couldn't stay on the major league roster. And I don't know what impact that has on a player, but I imagine a guy like Chance Sisko, who's a former top prospect, um, it has a pretty big impact on him. But if this is someone who defensively, there were some games when he was in Norfolk, I mean, he would make two, three errors in a game. Um, pass balls just looks, still looks really uncomfortable behind the plate. So I don't know if there's still a little bit of hope. If there is, great. Um, you know, the Orioles need a second catcher. We know, all know Adley Rutschman's waiting in, the, waiting in the wings. So if Chance Sisko can be that, that offensive catcher, um, if the bat can show up and he can produce enough on offense, then I think the Orioles will have something to work with um, as a backup to Adley Rutschman. Adley Rutschman's defense is, we know, is outstanding. It's major league ready now. So if Cisco can come in and spell him for, you know, 30 games or so and bring the bat, then maybe it works. I mean, Cisco did show some flashes last year. He had a couple of hot stretches where he looked like he could be a force at the plate with some hitting for some power, taking walks. But the problem is, for me, I just don't see him as a catcher long-term. Maybe as a guy that you keep 
as a third catcher just in case but mostly a first base dh but as long as if he can get his bat under control and show the potential that he had in the minor leagues at, up at the major league level especially with the national league looking like they're going to add a dh maybe he increases his value and he can add something to the the future of the organization with Cisco, you know, we have not really seen everything come together um, yet at the major league level. As Nick pointed out, there's questions about the defense, the bad, you know, the, there were flashes of success last year. Um, since the Orioles drafted Adley Rutzman and it became clear that barring anything unforeseen with, you know, from an injury standpoint, Rutzman is going to be the catcher in Baltimore um, not too far down the line. My hope has been that Cisco's bat would develop just enough that either the Orioles would be able to trade him and get a good package in return or look at moving him to another position. Um, but I can't say right now where I think that position is. So it's a little bit of a challenge. Can you hear me now? Oh. Um, but yeah, that's um, something to watch with Cisco. Nick, over a 60-game sample size, because um, it's going to be hard one way or another to say, you know, Cisco got better or he got much worse. What would you want to see out of him that you could say he did improve this year? Yeah, I mean, I guess it's the same with a lot of these guys, just consistency. You know, the, I mentioned with Santander, you see it with Cisco too, kind of these couple weeks where he's hot and he looks like a great hitter. Like when he first came up to the major leagues last year, uh, he was on fire, just article after article about is this final of the year for Chan Cisco. Um, and turns out like it really wasn't, but you know, he only hit 210 last year. Uh, but he did have that 333 on base percentage. His WRC plus was just under league average. So, I mean, if he can get, become a league average hitter, that's honestly, that's, that's all I would take. You know, the walk rate's tremendous, 11, 12%. Um, you know, if he can strike out less than a third of the time, what he did last year, I want to see that. Uh, get that average up just a little bit. Keep that on-base percentage around 333. That's great. Um, but then we can say, all right, there's something to work with there, and, and maybe you have a future as as a backup. And you know that backup position, catching position though in baseball, is still just as important uh, as most other positions. So, but he's got to hit the ball. He's got he's got to improve that 210 average and 30 percent strikeout rate. Make the bad defense worth it. Yeah. So we're going to move on now and focus on players that the Orioles will be facing this year. Um, with the season impacted by coronavirus, obviously a 60-game schedule. The Orioles are only going to play teams from the American League East and the National League East, so that means that the Orioles aren't going to see top prospects that likely would have debuted this year in the American League, guys like potentially Joe Adele with the Angels, Louise Robert with the White Sox. Um, those are going to be players to watch outside of the Orioles' schedule. But looking more specifically at the Orioles' schedule, we want to get into some of the players you should keep your eye on over the course of the season. Um, Nick, I'll start with you. Off of the opposing teams, which players stand out to you? Uh, just kind of looking through their roster, I really like you know, the Marlins have a few young guys uh, that I like, especially uh, Starling Sharp uh, stands out to me. Uh, he was the, their Rule 5 pick last year. I think someone who a lot of Orioles fans were hoping they were going to take in the Rule 5 this year. Um, he had a, a really fantastic year in the Nationals organization last year. In, I think it was in A, high air A last season. Um, he's going to be a fun pitcher to watch. He's got to stay up in the major leagues this year, so we'll see how he performs. Um, you know, Someone like Lewis Brinson, is, is he a bust or, or can he break through this year? Um, 
you know, with Miami, everybody's got an opportunity. Uh, maybe do we see Sixto Sanchez? It's someone I, I enjoy watching uh, throughout his minor league career. Um, I think he was only in Double A last year, so I don't know if the Marlins want to start his clock already and bring him up. But maybe by the end of the year. Although I think we play the Marlins early on in the year, so we probably won't see him. But um, yeah, those guys, and then the Braves. I like uh, maybe Cal Wright. He's their fourth ranked prospect. Uh, I think Cole Hamels, uh, there's iffy about if he's going to start the year or not, or how much he's going to be able to pitch. So I think the, the Braves are looking for a starter or two to fill out their rotation, and I've heard uh, discussions about Kyle Wright, so maybe he jumps in. Austin Riley, maybe he jumps in at, at third base. There's a lot of comps about uh, uh, Kobe Mayo uh, comping him to Austin Riley right after the draft, so Orioles fans can get a glimpse in the future there. Um <laughs> You know, I think you guys are going to touch on some of the Blue Jays prospects, but I, I'm become honestly, I'm becoming a Blue Jays fan. Um, I'm, I'm going to be You're cheering. Off. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I hate to admit it, but I'm going to be cheering <laughs> the Blue Jays on uh, this year. I'd rather watch the Blue Jays than the you know Yankees or Red Sox. Um, you know, Tampa Bay has got a lot of young guys uh, that I could see. I know he's not really a prospect anymore, but I'm going to plug uh, my guy Brandon Lau for the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, Mostly because my dad coached him in Little League, and he was my next-door neighbor. And he nice. looked he was a really tiny kid uh, growing up. Uh, barely hit the ball out of the infield. Didn't run that fast. Um, I wish my dad still had his like Little League scouting report on him because it, it was something. Um, and now he's an MLB All-Star. So I'm going to wreck the hometown kid there. But I think those are some of the guys. Starling Sharp's probably the one that stands out to me the most. But lots of young talent in this, these two divisions. Yeah, you make a lot of good points there. Yeah, the Rays are loaded with talent. They have the number one overall prospect in baseball, Juan Franco. Not sure if he's going to see his debut this year or not, but if he does, I hope it's against the Orioles. That would be a cool game to watch, and that's super exciting. You also got Vidal Brujan on the Rays and Brandon McKay. Should be the fifth starter there, at least based on uh, rosterresource.com. Yankees, they got a couple good young pitchers, prospects, Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt. Not sure. See, this is the problem with this 60-game schedule, especially a team like the Yankees, who's just, they need to be in every game. I don't know how many chances they're going to give to their young guys, but if they do, those are some electric arms. Blue Jays are loaded. They're a fun team to watch. If if I'm not going to be watching the Orioles game this summer, the rest of this summer, I'll put on a Blue Jays game. They have a lot of good young players, Vlad, Bichette, Biggio, Pearson, Anthony Kay even. Um, yeah, the Braves are fun. We've got a couple guys you didn't mention are the outfielders, Christian Pache and Drew Waters. I don't know if they'll get some play, but Ian Anderson might get a get a shot to pitch at least out of their bullpen. So, yeah, there's a lot, still a lot of good young talent in the schedule we're going to face, even if we might miss some of the bigger names in the Central or West Coast. Yeah, touching on the Blue Jays because you guys both mentioned them. I've actually. Going back to the second half of last year, I saw the Blue Jays a lot in person. And they were one of those teams where you knew that they're not, you know, a good team necessarily, but they were still fun to watch. And I really am curious to see what they're going to do over the span of a shortened season. Are they going to surprise some people and maybe make a run in a wild card spot? Um, regardless, I'm very high on Bill Bissett. Um, and if Vladimir Guerrero's junior's bat comes around this year, uh, those two players are going to be some of the most exciting young players players in the major leagues. Um, Nate Pearson like, could join that group. To have a starter out of the rotation that touches 100 miles an hour um, and has really been improving his secondary offerings, 
would give the Blue Jays a big boost, and I'm looking forward to seeing him pitch against the Orioles, likely at some point this year. Two guys in the National League that I want to note, one of them is Carter Keyboom, um, who right now looks like he's going to be the opening day third baseman for the Nationals. Um, he briefly appeared in the majors last year. Numbers were not that impressive, but I've always been fairly high on him, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And then Kristen Pache, who came into the 2020 season um, pretty high on a lot of prospect rankings. He's a member of the Braves farm system. Baseball America had him 12th. MLB had him 13th. Baseball Prospectus had him 22nd. Um, that's on their top 100 overall list. There's some speculation that with Nick Markakis having opt, opted out of the season, that Pache could be the starting right fielder in Atlanta, or at the very least get a lot more playing time. And the one that I wanted to note with Keyboom and Pache both is their organizations. I feel like both the Braves and the Nationals, whether, whether it's Acuna and Soto or further back with the Nationals, with Harper and Strasburg, do a good job of making their prospects major league ready. Um, they have a track record that shows that their players can hit the ground running at the major league level, which over a 60-game season is going to be all the more important, especially because both of those teams um, have eyes on winning that division. So if you're looking for National League players, those are the two that I would say are the most intriguing to me. Yeah, you, you mentioned Vladdy's bat going back to the Blue Jays. We're also a Blue Jays podcast now. Um, <laughs> but he's they moved him over to first base the other day, they announced. So you don't have to worry about third base. I think it was was it Baseball Savant that came out with their advanced defensive metrics slot during last year's season, I think it was. And Vladdy was like led the league in like their version of like defensive run saves, whatever that is, by mm-hmm. you know, by a tremendous amount. He was an <laughs> awful third baseman. And now if he can just sit back at first base or DH and just hit home runs, I mean, I, I'm all for it. Vladimir Guerrero, was his, his dad was one of my favorite players growing up. So it's it's cool to see him in the league. Uh, unfortunately, it is with a division rival. But, you know, the Orioles are going to be bad for a few more years. So I'm just going to enjoy the, the Rays and the Blue Jays. Yeah, we got to let the Blue Jays peak early. So when they're starting to come down a little bit, we're, we're, we'll take them over. Exactly. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel, and I I want to go back to Bill Bissett for a minute because the tools, when I saw him last year, I was kind of taken back to when Troy Tulowitzki debuted with the Rockies. It just seems like he gets a little bit of everything right, um, and that's someone that I think if he's healthy this year and he builds off of what he did in 2019, um, going prob- could get some MVP consideration. I'm not going to say he's going to win the award, but if you want to look for a young guy that's going to rise quickly, I would go with Bissett. See what kind of money you can get on that. With 60-game schedule, anything could happen. So there's probably some good money to be made on some bets like that. Yeah, very much so, um, especially with still some questions about which players are are going to play this year, in particular Mike Trout. Um, so out of the teams that we are going to see this year, not just focusing on individual prospects, but they're just overall slate of young players, which team are you looking forward to seeing the most? I'll start with you, Bob. It's got to be the Blue Jays followed by the Braves for me, then Tampa Bay, and Miami. Like Nick said, they have so many young players that, and so many opportunities, just like the Orioles. But it looks like they're actually going to give more of their guys opportunities like Hassan Diaz and Jazz Chisholm maybe. I, he might be a little young, but they've got some good young guys over there. So those will be my top four. 
Yeah, the the Braves are a lot of fun to watch. Uh, they have soft spot uh, in my baseball heart, um, so I, I don't mind watching the Braves. Um, you know, I, I like watching them, especially now because Nick Marcakis was there, and I enjoy Freddie Freeman, and hopefully Freeman gets better soon, and you know we won't see Marcakis, but Ronald Acuna is a lot of fun. I think I saw him uh, a couple years ago after he had already made his major league debut, but he was rehabbing. And he came down and played at Triple A AAA Norfolk in a road game, and they had a doubleheader that day. And I don't know why this stood out to me, but it, but it just did. This is a guy who's already a, you know, a phenom in, in Major League Baseball, a young phenom, and he's on a rehab assignment in a road game in Triple A and a doubleheader in a, like a random like Friday or Saturday afternoon. And he stayed on the top step of that dugout, the visitors' dugout, the entire game. He DH'd the first game. They took him out early, but he never left. You know, like you see a lot of those veterans just leave. They go home, uh, go to the hotel room, and call it a day. He stayed at that top step and cheered his guys on. Like I, I love that kind of player. That's exciting to watch. Um, you know, the Mets are the Mets. There's really nothing there that interests me at all. They're a dumpster fire. Um, <laughs> The Nationals have always, I love a lot of the guys on the Nationals roster, but I just can't sit and watch Nationals games. So, um, you know, Braves and Blue Jays are pretty much it. The Rays, of course, you got to have, Rays aren't necessarily, I don't think, a very exciting team to watch. That's just me personally, but you got to respect them. Mad props to that organization and what they do. They're, They're a good team. So good competition for these young Orioles. Yeah, the thing with the Rays is that I feel like they're so creative. Like if Brendan McKay does play this year and he's a two-way player, they're going to find a really creative way to get value out of him. And that's always what has intrigued me about the Rays, even when their teams don't even finish above 500. It's still like, oh, I can watch a Rays game. I can pick up some things that I don't see anywhere else. Um, I, I think I'm on the same page as you guys as far as which teams I'm most excited to about when it comes to young players. Uh, the Braves, certainly, and the Blue Jays. The Nationals' farm system has weakened quite a bit in the last few years. But as I mentioned, I'm looking forward to seeing what Keyboom does in his rookie season. And don't forget about Juan Soto. Um, that guy has quickly risen to not just being a good player, but playing at the level of a star. And coming off that World Series season, I am really looking forward to seeing what he does in year three. Even if we're only going to get 60 games of it, um, I remember the first time I saw Soto was in low A back in 2018. Uh, he had an injury-shortened season that year, but I liked what I saw then. He came back to Hagerstown briefly in 20... Or I'm sorry, I saw him in 2017 the first time. He came back to Hagerstown briefly in 2018, and then within a matter of a few months was in the major leagues and made a really smooth transition in the majors despite his young age. So I'm interested to see what he does in year three. Damn, Victor Robles is fun to watch out in center field too. So there's Nationals have a couple things going for him, I guess. World Series title and all. Yeah, yeah, and Strasburg and Scherzer at the top of the rotation. Yeah, with yeah. Patrick. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Patrick Corbin's pretty good too. So <laughs> they're uh, they're still gonna the Braves Nationals race, and you can't sleep on the Phillies. I don't think so. The NL East is going to be really interesting this year. Just hope they pay JT Real Muto, because if not, I think Phillies fans are going <laughs> to burn that place down. They will no longer exist. Yeah. As Bryce Harper yells during his intersquad scrimmages. Yes. <laughs> uh, any final thoughts here before we sign off, Bob? No, let's. I'm just ready for the season to start at this point. feel like it's a... Uh... 
a lot of teasing going on because I feel like the carpet could be pulled out from under us at any point. And let's just get the games going. So I feel like once the season officially starts, there'll be less chance that it could get canceled. So yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah you see MLS getting back. You see the NBA getting hyped up. Uh, get, they're getting ready to start. It's, it's exciting. You see all the news and the videos from other teams. We don't get to see a lot from the Orioles uh, or during summer camp, but you see all the highlights, the, the home runs, the Gold Glove plays already out there. Um, I'm getting more excited for baseball. I hope nothing happens. Um, you know, I think there was a report earlier today, like one of the NBA players for the Kings crossed out of the, the Disney bubble to go get food, and, and now he's quarantined for ten days and. And so you just hope something like stupid like that doesn't derail the season. Um, I know the baseball is not playing in a bubble, but I hope these guys are safe uh, that do play. Um, you know, I, I think I'll leave it with with Richie Martin. My final thought would be with Richie Martin out. Uh, bring up Mason McCoy, Team Mason McCoy, twenty twenty. Let's do it. <laughs> I can get behind that. So for those of us that do follow on Twitter, I apologize that we did not have time to get into. Hunter Harvey's uh, walk of Adley Rutzman over the weekend in an inner squad game. Maybe somewhere down the line we can revisit that subject and what it means to the team's future. But in the meantime, please continue to follow us on Twitter at, at BSL on the Birds. If you don't follow yes. us yet, hop on there now and follow us. Uh, continue to check BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com for new articles on the Orioles, Ravens, Maryland Terrapins, and more. And hop on the message board to let us know your thoughts. Uh, with all things uh, sports right now. So for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week.